Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and again, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, working ourselves through verse by verse, discussing these passages, and hopefully uh, enlightening some of you, or shedding some new light, or maybe a new way to look at these passages. So, I'm very excited that we are, you know, moving right along. And again, as I've mentioned many times on the show, we're not in any hurry to finish this book. Uh, and so we're just kind of taking it section by section and explaining the text in hopes that when you read Matthew next, you'll be able to get one of those little aha moments, if you would. I, that's the goal. I And I, and I think it. I, I've gotten some people that have remarked that they've really enjoyed this series and they've enjoyed you know, listening through these passages explained and really maybe not fully agreeing with me on all things, but being able to say, um, you know, it gave me different insight. It, it allowed me to think differently about this passage. So I'm very excited for it. And again, as we mentioned last week uh, and the weeks prior here, we've been working through the ch- 13th chapter of Matthew And in this particular chapter, they kind of have some things split up. So it's not a, you know, not everything happens all right in a row. So we looked at the sower of the seed, and then we jumped all the way down to the um, portion that it was explained. Now we're going to look at the sower of the weeds, and we're going to jump to where that is explained. So we'll read those two passages uh, next week. We'll f- should finish up chapter 13 by looking at the last few parables um, and then move on into chapter 14. And uh, so moving right along, as I had mentioned, uh, if the shows don't quite hit 30 minutes, but I get all of the content that I want, we're going to call it a done day. If we make it through a, a chunk of t- content and I feel like we've exhausted and we still have 15 minutes left, We'll take on the next section. I don't want to rush things, but I don't want to 
you know, and I also don't want to not provide the text. It's an appropriate measure. So again, this isn't an exhaustive search. This is not even an exhaustive look at the Gospel of Matthew. There is so much more that can be done here. In fact, we could be taking this and peeling layers out and saying, you know, uh, this is what the Greek is stating. This is what the you know the earlier translations state. This is um, maybe a different manuscript style. We could unpack it and look at it and say this verse is taking us back to the Old Testament. How is that explained? I mean, we can be doing uh, extensive, extensive, extensive deep dives, and I hope at some point in the future uh, we can provide that. Um, it maybe you know a couple years down the road things get a little bit more. I don't want to say complicated, but things get a little bit more heavy. Um, but the goal for the show, really, more or less, is to take the scripture and explain it in a in a real and easy framework for anybody to understand without having to have a seminary degree. That's the point. And I feel like a lot of people go after those the, the high-hanging fruit. I can't call it low because it's not easy to get to, but that high-hanging fruit, the you know, explaining the text in the Greek, explaining the text in the Hebrew, explaining the text in Latin, or, you know, maybe earlier languages and how the, the, the Septuagint translated to English in this form, or, you know, whatever. And then they go and they start to uh, apply their theological doctrine to the passages and explaining that. And that's the only way you could possibly understand a passage if you read it through the lens of whatever their presuppositional doctrine is. Uh, and that's fine in, in many cases, but I'm just, you know, I, I know there's a lot of good podcasts out there that go uh, exceptionally hard in terms of, you know, explaining or handling the complex topics. That's not this show. And, and I'm sorry if you're looking for, you know, the, the weighty academical approach. Some might get a little weighty, but by and large, my show is for lay people, is for you to take this material and understand it. So let's get into the content. Uh, Parable of the Weeds, we are at the 24th verse in chapter 13. We're going to read through this, uh, these few verses here, and then we're going to move on to verse 36 and uh, close out this section here. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who has sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to him, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then what do you want us to do? Go and gather them? But he said, no, least in gathering the weeds, you you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. So there's the parable. Now down in verse 36 through 43, let's read the explanation of the weeds. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, 
and the evil one who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Right, so that is Jesus explaining to us what this parable means. So let's really focus solely on the explanation because that will, you know, obviously provide the insight to what the parable of the weeds is, right? So verses 36 through 43 will be our main focus for the show uh, as we are essentially explaining verses 24 through 30. So Jesus has left the crowds and you know, we can assert, because here in Matthew 14, we will get to the feeding of the 5,000. So these crowds were were ma- massive. I mean, we, we probably would estimate north of 10,000 to 20,000 people uh, are fully incorporated in this crowd, if you want. It's, you know, they're the side thought, if you would, not necessarily relevant to the message, but uh, interesting to think about the size of the crowds. So he leaves the crowds, he goes into the house, and he uh, is, you know, probably sitting down or lounging or maybe getting something to eat. His disciples saying, hey, explain to us, what in the world did you mean? (laughs) What possibly can we take from that? Because we don't understand it. And we talked a little bit about the explanation last week in regards to why Jesus speaks in parables. And... It's it, it's kind of interesting because just a really quick recap. If we take the explanation of the parables, and we we assert that the parables are preached to those who do not understand the kingdom of heaven, and for those who do understand, can make sense of the parables, they can understand the parables. For his disciples, while they may not understand, Jesus takes the time to explain them so that they can understand. Remember. This is still relatively, you know, probably middle or so of his ministry, and his disciples still struggle with doubt. Well, in fact, we'll see that when we get to Matthew 16, and Peter uh, will talk, you know, we'll say, talk, essentially talk a big game and then have a, a massive fallout right in front of Jesus. So his disciples still struggle with fully comprehending and fully understanding, and Jesus takes the time here to explain it. So he says, Uh, The one who sows a good seed is the son of man, that is Jesus. Uh, The field is the world. And so the, you know, the sowing of the seed, it goes all the way back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago with the spreading of the gospel, the spreading of the good news. Jesus is the one who is doing that. Uh, Even more so, we can go back a number of weeks to the end of chapter nine, when we talked about uh, the, the little short parable given there that Jesus is the only one doing the work right now. So Jesus is the only one sowing the good seed. And, and again, this is at the time that he's giving these parables. He is the only one, but soon that will change. And soon the harvest will will still be plentiful and the laborers will grow, but they'll still be small, right? There's still, you know, even today's time, there's a lacking of pastoral ship. There's uh, seminaries are being bled dry because they can't get students to come. Uh, and I think the whole like liberation theology and the whole 
um, progressive movements and all that have done their damage on the church. But the laborers are few, the harvest is still many, and it will be like that until the day that Christ returns. But anyways, we have the parable here. He is the one who is sowing the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed would be the, the sons of the kingdom. So he's going out and giving the gospel and giving faith to uh, the sons of the kingdom. And these are now the good wheat. These are the things that you know sprout up and are going to provide fruit and nourishment for other people. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The evil one is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, right? So the weeds that are growing up are going to essentially be those who are unbelievers. Again, this is the distinction, believers and unbelievers. And so I preached this sermon uh, a couple weeks ago in our church, and because of my lectionaries a few weeks ahead of what we're doing here on the show. But we talked uh, pretty extensively about the, the the difference between the wheat and the weeds. And the weeds, I think, sometimes can be used, especially from a pastoral standpoint, uh, in a misrepresentation of the text, maybe even a twisting of the text, to draw doubt into the believer's heart and say, do you know if you're sitting amongst weeds here in the church? Are are your neighbors next to you, to your left and to your right and in front and behind you? Are they the weeds? Who could possibly be weeds? And so they they will use that and cultivate this kind of uncertainty and this doubt in the back of our minds. And what they'll try and really angle at is are you saved? And 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 if you are saved, then how do you know you're saved? And if you want to try and test your fruits or test your faith, you can do this, uh, or, or you can perform that, and you'll you'll have a more of assurance. In fact, I saw a quote, I'm not going to say who it was from, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but basically it was something around the fact of uh, obedience is our only measure of assurance. That is the most legalistic construct of assurance I've ever heard in my entire life, that obedience to to God's law is our only assurance. So basically what it asserts is that my ability to fulfill the law is the only means by which I can understand and be saved, which is an absolute um, punch in the throat to all of Christianity for all time. We do not have to be, we, we are not measured by our obedience to the law. In fact, our assurance is extraneous. It comes from outside of us. It has nothing to do with us or our ability, but it is everything done for us and to us through Christ on the cross and in the sacraments and in his word preached. So the weeds are not necessarily the analogy given uh, of people sitting in the church. The weeds are people in our lives our family, our friends, our co-workers, neighbors, people who do not believe the gospel. Why would people who do not believe the gospel come and sit and spend time in church? It's just not going to happen. And I've heard it, like I said, often used to where preachers try and put the weight upon the congregation. And I feel like that is just a, a terrible way to represent this passage. It is not being directed towards the church body. It is directed towards the world that we live in. Because the very key thing here is what Jesus says in verse 38. The field is the world. 
It is not the church. It is not our local body of, of believers, but it is the world. It is everything in the world. And so you will encounter unbelievers. You will encounter people who will hate and despise you. Uh, and that is the, those are the weeds. And interestingly enough, we could even go back to the parable of the sower, the seed, and look at that one, the, the one type of seed that sprouts up, does a lot of good, and then upon tribulation and persecution fall away, right? So the person comes, they have faith, they are saved, they do all these things in the church, but then when persecution comes or tribulation comes or something cataclysmic happens, they fall away from the faith and they stop believing. So they uh, would, and, and here's the really interesting thing. I did some research on the, the weeds parable here. And I, and I forgot the name of the weed that is there, but there's a type of weed that grows up and looks just like the wheat uh, grain that is coming up out of the ground. And so they are very similar. It's hard to distinguish. However, at the harvest, they are very distinguishable. But until then, they look almost identical all the way through. And if this weed in of itself is... Uh, uh, cultivated or harvested together and then grinded into flour, it will actually spoil the flour. So interesting uh, truth to be had because you'll see those weeds that may sprout up. And, and here's the other interesting thing. And I didn't really get into it too much in my sermon, but the interesting thing is you, there could be people in the church that would resemble this. Right, because the weeds really are just unbelievers, and but they're not. But the weeds are kind of the final marker of it, right? They're the ones who who have left the faith, have left the church, and so why would an unbeliever be sitting in church? I, there's people that are in there that are that, that struggle with doubt and assurance and all that such. Yes, absolutely. But the why would an unbeliever, one who flat out disregards, disagrees, hates the gospel, why would they? waste their time being in church hearing the gospel preached it just it's not the premise of the parable and so we have to be careful when we take on these types of passages because it is vital for us to um, understand it in a correct sense and how they are explained and jesus makes it very clear how those uh how the parables are explained for the most part obviously we don't have an explanation for everything you know, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great value, the parable of the net, we will see some of those things um, kind of lightly explained, but it's not to the extent here that the, the seeds and the weeds are explained. So the field is the world. It is everybody in our lives. Uh, and, and again, those are including the believers and unbelievers. It's family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, associates, all of these things, right? They're all included in that. Any person you can contact around the world is included in this field, if you would. The believers are the sons of the kingdom. The unbelievers are the ones sown by the devil. They're the weeds. And interestingly enough, Jesus gives us a little bit of eschatology here, verses 40 through 43. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so will be at the end of the age. This is the day of judgment, the day that Christ returns. This is not seven years and then a tri of tribulation and then Jesus returns and there's a secret rapture. No, it's not what's being given to us. He is telling you the interesting thing 
that on the day of harvest, at the end of the age, the end of the age, the last day, those weeds will be rooted out and cast away. It tells you right there that his angels will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Now, this is not a detailed breakdown of that, you know, the day of judgment. Jesus tells us that further along in Matthew 24 and 25, when he will gather the believers and unbelievers into two lines, and the believers will be ushered into eternal life, into the new heavens and new earth, and unbelievers will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And so it's interesting because here we have the fiery furnace being demonstrated as the result of the weeds. That's their final destination. And then he goes on to say that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But he, but note here in this day of judgment, and this is actually a conversation we're having quite a lot lately, is surrounding the premise of hell and you know modern times. Uh, do we believe that hell in it is a current place for the unbelievers to go to? What does hell look like? And what does the afterlife essentially look like for those who are unbelievers? And elsewhere in the scriptures, we have uh, another way of it being described, and that is darkness. Darkness, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Those are usually three things, three characteristics describing the afterlife for the unbelievers. However, here in the text, we do not see darkness applied. It is just simply weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the weeping and gnashing of teeth is simply agony and distress and and you can even call it pain, perhaps. Um, but this is the agonistic ending to the weeds. They have received their just reward in this life, and they are now being punished in the next. And so uh, Jesus describes they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace, uh, along with Satan and all of his demons. And in there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, because they're going to realize their mistake. They will be consciously realizing for all eternity that they have rejected the gospel and now must suffer for it. Whereas the believers will be ushered into the kingdom of life. And, and I think this, you know, this kind of reality for the Christians should ignite the need to be more evangelistic. It should ignite the need for us to share the gospel. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God raised him from the grave? Do you believe that he died on the cross for you? Do you believe these things? That is the fire beneath our seats that must be ignited when we read these types of passages because it is vital to the success of Christianity and to the, to the success of doing what we've been commanded to do through the Great Commission. And it is our obligation, our duty, and, and it really should be a we have been given the privilege to share this gospel, to share the good news, to be a part of this with people and walk alongside people in this world. So uh, this is, you know, vital, if you would, to, to understanding. And, and I think knowing or having a good sound eschatology helps you understanding these parables better because there is a lot often that deals with the end of the age. And Matthew does a very good job at highlighting that 
while not necessarily giving a whole lot of explanation. And we, we will see in Matthew 24 and 25 a much deeper explanation given, but there's also other things that Matthew doesn't include, and this will be picked up by Paul, this will be picked up by John uh, and Peter as well, and, and even the other gospel writers will have different insights. But the Olivet Discourse uh, is extensively written in Matthew. You, you'll see it in Mark 13 and Luke chapter 21. But Matthew 24 and 25 are is the longest discourse that we have. But again, don't disregard Luke 13 or Mark 13 and Luke 21. Don't disregard those views. Read them uh, in connection with all of it. And we'll probably do that when we get to um, that passage. Even though we've done a whole series on, that, on eschatology way back when, uh, I would like to revisit some of that and... Um, and, and, you know, rehash maybe some of those conversational points. So having a good eschatology helps with understanding these parables because they deal with the end of the age. So it's the reality of the already but not yet, right? We have the already in terms of uh, the kingdom of God being being presented in the world in the person and embodiment of Jesus Christ. We have uh, the sower of the seeds, the people, the preachers, the missionaries, the Christians who are out actively sharing the gospel, sharing their faith. And then you've got the not yet, which is the end of the age. So you've got this kind of already but not yet framework where you are doing the work and yet the end of the age is yet to come. And so it's another great example of that for this parable that at the end, all of the work that has been done, all of the weeds will be uprooted and separated from the wheat. They will be thrown and cast into the fiery furnace. Now, I can tell you that the angels are are better at separating that than we are. It is not our obligation, our duty, to determine whether somebody is a weed or a wheat. It is not our duty to determine what somebody's eternal destination is. That is between them and God. And the angels are commanded to go out and to gather the unbelievers, to gather those weeds and separate them from the believers. That is the premise of the angels. And so they uh, you know, are being commanded by Christ who to choose, who to pick, right? That is, that is predestination and election right there for us in the scripture. The separation of the sheep and the goats, the separation of the wheat and the weeds, Believers and unbelievers. That is how we handle a text like this. But it is not for you to sit and fret over, is my wife or my husband or my kids, are they the weeds? Do we need? How do we uproot the weeds? How do we get rid of them? Well, the only way to essentially assure that it's not a weed is to preach the gospel, to continuously preach the gospel. And here's the other thing. I, I hear it a lot in the reform circles that people will say, you can't be a goat and become a sheep. And you can't be a sheep and become a goat. You're, it's, you know, like there, it's almost like uh, the notion that when you were born, your, your destiny is already lit, you know, written in stone and there's nothing you can do to change it. And I, and I think that, you know, has some faltering because we, we are all essentially born as goats, unbelievers. We're born into the sin of Adam and it is Christ who gives us life. He's the one who, cultivates the dry bones. He is the one who goes out and 
and raises the dead spiritually and makes them anew. And so this is why Paul writes in Romans 6, you know, in our baptism, we're baptized into a death like his, so we can experience a life like his. And then Paul goes on to talk about the daily struggles and the daily need to uh, kill the old Adam in us. But it is Christ who changes us. It is Christ who draws us back to life. And so I would venture to say, uh, at birth, we are all goats, and it is Christ who changes us. So these are just parables. They're not a, a concrete, this is how things work no matter what. I would also like to add, when we examine this type of a text, that just because we see unbelievers doesn't mean they can't become believers. Most of us, especially me late in life, well, not late in life, but early in, or early in life, I guess, um, I became a believer and, and I really was just, I, it just wasn't. It's not that I, I was atheist or agnostic or anything like that. I just didn't believe. And, and I struggled with it because I thought I had faith or like I thought I had belief and it just was never really explained. And so it was one of those things that it just took a long time to be explained for me to understand my faith. And but, but I grew up in a house that we didn't go to church on a regular basis. I grew up in a house where uh, church wasn't the forefront of our, our family. But now, I, you know, obviously being a preacher, I raise my kids to go to church every Sunday. And even if we are on a trip or on vacation, we find a way to go to service and, and ensure that they are worshiping on that day. So a whole lot can be said, and we could talk about it for another hour if you want, but I'm going to go ahead and cut her down here. But make sure when you read these to read the explanations and to read them in the light of the already but not yet, what's happening now and what will happen in the end. So, you know, Read it in that fashion, and I think you'll have a better explanation, and I think you'll be able to digest it better than if you were to just read it and then move on to the next passage for your daily reads. Read and dwell on the passage. Read and absorb it. Reread it multiple times in a day or in a couple days or in a couple weeks. Just continuously revisit. Do it in a whole chapter. Revisit a whole chapter. Revisit a whole section. And just constantly gnaw on these passages. So that's that, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, the show will drop on a Friday as always. So make sure if you have the opportunity to listen on the day of release to go and um, get your butt into church on Sunday, and I hope that you can partake in the sacraments, and I pray that God will be merciful to all of us and continue to give us faith needed for the daily grind. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend, and God bless.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.